listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. This episode of Integra X-Files is part one of two with Paul Baldwin. This episode discusses the history and potential of the pharmacy industry, the benefits of caregiving, and the role of pharmacists in healthcare innovation and progress. Welcome to the Integra X-Files, a place where we'll explore and solve for the X-Factor that will help reshape the future of long-term care pharmacy. Join us to discuss topics and insights that will help you discover ways to grow your pharmacy, stay up to date on important legislative and regulatory issues, learn best practices for operating a profitable pharmacy business, and unlock the mysteries of technology. Hello, and welcome to the Integra X-Files podcast. Super excited to have everybody here. Uh, my name's Frances Nahas. I'm the Chief Strategy Officer for Red Sail Technologies, and I'm here with Jim McDonald, my co-host for this episode. Jim, why don't you introduce yourself and introduce our guest? Yep, Jim McDonald, as uh, Francis said, I'm the VP of Sales for Integra and uh, uh, QS1. And then uh, Paul Baldwin is our host today. He does our blogs for us on the Integra X-Files. So, Paul, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, and this is great. And Francis, it's a pleasure to be here. It's uh, yeah. I listen to other podcasts and uh, been a really good source of information. I have been in... Uh, government relations and healthcare for close to 40 years, but it all started with the pharmaceutical industry. I was a, I was a, we, we were talking before and I was a, uh, a sales rep and started in North Carolina and uh, eventually got into government relations and worked for uh, what was Rome Palank Rohrer and now has become Sanofi um, as a head of government relations. And then, Merger took place, and we went on to different different things. I ended up with uh, I. I then went from there to Genesis Healthcare, and I oh, did government okay. did government affairs for uh, for neighbor care pharmacy, and then I took over as an executive director of the Long Term Care Pharmacy Alliance, which was a trade association for the five publicly traded. Uh, long-term care pharmacies in the country, which <laughs> after we, we, it was a good, it was a good, uh, it was a great time because that's when the, the Medicare drug benefit uh, was being launched. And, and, you know, we got, we had some, you know, we were, we were trying to engage as best we could during that deliberative process. Uh, we really didn't do a, as well as we had hoped until we got to the regulatory process. But then I moved from that position as, as you know, Omnicare began to eat all of the members of, of uh, the Long-Term Care Pharmacy Alliance. I moved to Omnicare and was the head of public affairs there for six years um, and have since been a, a sort of government relations consultant, uh, semi-retired, kind of a bum but very interested in the and <laughs> the uh, that's the dream and what right? yeah and what's going on in uh, in long term care and healthcare. So this is a this is a great pleasure. I'm I, it's interesting to be as an observer more than as an active participant mm-hmm. because I think you see you see things that you wouldn't have seen had you been you know laboring in the trenches close up and personal. So 
Yeah, it's always I, I feel like I get that luxury in my job a little bit where you get to pull up just a little bit and see it from sort of the 10,000 yeah. foot view and instead of being kind of in the trenches. But so I'm, you know, before we jump into the the actual topic for this, but I'm curious to sort of what are some of if you think back over 30 or 40 years, um, what are some of the biggest transitions that you've seen happen in this industry? Like what's, well, what are I the mean, I think in healthcare and pharmaceuticals, yeah. pharmaceuticals was the, the, the big, and I, and I, I think it's underestimated the big defining change that happened in, in the pharmaceutical industry was with the implementation of OBRA 90 and Medicaid drug rebates. Pharma was considered to be essentially bulletproof up until that point. And it was, you know, in, and finally ended up having to surrender to you know medicaid uh rebates which you know despite our protestations at the time did not kill the industry did not cripple yeah. drug research <laughs> and all those kind of things so that was that was a defining feature in pharmaceuticals and i think you know likewise in 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 long-term care pharmacy the defining issue or the defining event was the Medicare drug benefit. Yeah. Because as you recall, I mean, prior to 2006, when it actually kicked off in earnest and it was implemented, there we we were dependent upon the state Medicaid programs to, to set reimbursement for long-term care pharmacy. And there was a general race to the bottom to see who could pay the lowest dispensing fees and the yeah. and the lowest. Yeah. You know, they since kind of rationalized that, but it's but it was. Uh, I mean, as a as a trade association, yeah, you know, we had lobbyists in twenty eight states because Medicaid was the driver of long term care pharmacy. Yeah, you know, Just super 40, inefficient. Fifty percent yeah. of revenues came from there. Yeah. Medicaid is different in all fifty it, states. So, yeah. yeah. And moving it in and moving the benefit into Medicare was a huge transition. And yeah. I mean, that was that, that was a great time to be in long term care pharmacy because we got to work super close with with CMS. We had we had phone co conferences every two, you know, twice a week for the first month. Just to try to iron out, you know, hey, you know, this plan isn't paying properly. This plan's implementing prior authorization wrong. Then they're violating all the policies you've set up. And so that went on for, you know, a good solid six months until we finally trained the PBMs and CMS tried to train the PBMs to kind of pay attention to what they were, what their implementation rules were. Yeah. So I'm curious because, you know, you talked about, Medicaid being a race to the bottom. And when I talk to folks from CMS today, and I don't talk to them a lot, but right here and there you have conversations, the overwhelming thing that I hear is um, it's pricing, 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 right? All they want is lower pricing. They don't care about access. They don't care about um, yeah, I think they obviously don't care if any pharmacy makes money. Right? <laughs> they're, they're not worried yeah. about whether whether the pharmacy is profitable. They're just pricing, pricing, pricing. So I'm curious if you're seeing any of that similar kind of race to the bottom. Um, yeah, it's, it's always one of these, right? The old movie plays itself again. Are we seeing that happen in CMS given the current dialogue around pricing? You know, that you know, the the one thing that I think we've seen, which is maybe underappreciated, is that when 
when you have an FDA approved drug that in, in Alzheimer's drugs lately mm -hmm. that CMS has dug their heels in and said, you know, on the, on the previous iterations, we're not paying for everything. <laughs> yeah. In order to be, to get paid for this approved drug, you have to be in a clinical, you have to be, you know, registered in a clinical trial. That is, that is something. I mean, that, that was part yeah. of the deal from the Obra 90 rebates. The manufacturers said, okay, if, we're, if you're going to drag us in and make us pay rebates, there should be open access. And that was part of the provision of the Obra 90 statute is that the states would have to have open formularies and they'd have to be, you know, their access would have to be pretty much guaranteed for, for beneficiaries. And this is the first time when I think we can look look at here and say, aha, there is a limit. There, <laughs> there is a limit to how much uh, the public sector and you know it's great having a public sector. I mean, it's nice to have in a public sector that can make it to can print its own money, right? Right. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I can do that now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but and that at that point, though, I mean, when you see that and you think, okay, there's there's a limit here. There's a limit to what CMS will will accommodate. They'll dig in their heels. And, you know, remember, I mean, this is this is where I think we're headed here with a with, you know, with especially with pharmacy. This is this is an exciting time because we're seeing that the system, the health system, public and private, is desperate to control costs. Because mm -hmm. if they, you know, remember, you know, it's it's the product of unit cost times utilization that gives us the health spending outrageous amount of health spending we have if if the price if the if the providers won't figure out a rational way to control the unit cost then the payers will figure out a way to control utilization and that's when you know we begin to look more like britain and we yeah. don't want to become yeah. we don't want to have a national health service because you know it's a great idea they love it over there but you know, it's so wonderful that no one has ever emulated it. So it's just, a, you know, we don't we know we don't want that. Well, and you have the dichotomy of, um, you know, they have a national health service. They also have private health care. Yes. There, too. Right. And so yeah. what you do is have the separation of those that can afford to pay, get a different get a different level, level of care, of care. Yeah. yeah, which, let's be honest, happens in the U.S. now, too. It does but, too. Yeah. you know, you 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 drive that wedge a little farther. Yeah, but I think it's still, I mean, it happens less frequently. And I think, I mean, if, yeah, if you want concierge care, if you want to get ahead of the front of the line, I think, you know, that 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 those systems are are available. But I tell you, I mean, I I think, you know, between, you know, Medicaid has taken a lot of uh flack over quality issues and mm -hmm. and in some cases access. Medicare. I think, you know, Medicare Advantage. I mean, I'm I'm yeah. Medicare. So I get to yeah. look at it inside <laughs> out. And I'm thinking, hey, this isn't so bad. Right. Now, of course, I know how to navigate the system and not everybody does. But I but you know, in, in my in my now that I'm sort of semi-retired, I I help other seniors navigate Medicare. Yeah. And this has been a eye-opening experience. Mm -hmm. I mean, learning how people you know outside people who can't just call baltimore and say fix my problem right you know you you can say okay well we got to figure out how to to deal with this and work within the system and i know the system pretty well so i mean i can help but 
but if you don't know the system, it's still yeah. something of a challenge. It's challenging. And, and the, sorry, Jim, the, the oh, discussion of pricing is always fascinating to me because it's, you know, there was no, I was consultant for a long time. I only started in healthcare, you know, a little over a decade ago. And I always tell folks who ask like there, it is by far times 10, the most complicated industry I've ever worked in. And I worked in, you know, I clients in telecom and clients in oil and gas, like super international, highly regulated, highly technical and healthcare still like times 10 more yeah. complicated. And it's part of it. It's like the hierarchy of how a price gets determined is so incredibly complex and is so, you know, it works as a portfolio. It doesn't work individually. And so, you know, the example I always give is like no hospital makes money in an ICU at all, hands right. down. Like they don't make a dime. Right. In their ICU, there's a reason why you pay for parking at a lot of them. There's a reason why they have a gift center in the lobby, right? <laughs> right. They need a little bit to actually yeah. make up for some of the patient care, right? It's, it's your routine knee surgery that's going to make them some money, not yeah, not the right. ICU. And so there, yeah. there's always this complicated, you know, lens of can you looking at discrete things and then you got to look at it as the portfolio of, of services yeah. or the portfolio of drugs. Yeah, um, it's just complicated. <laughs> you know, and it, it is complicated, and it's you know. But we had I had an opportunity to talk to some folks at ASCP, guests of uh, of the association, and we were talking. And I said, you know, the first thing we need to make clear is that Medicare and Medicaid are not healthcare programs. They are programs created by politicians to serve their public that happen to deliver healthcare, either insurance or healthcare services. And that makes everything different because, yeah. you know, if that, that means that the number of stakeholders, the number of people who consider themselves stakeholders can put their foot in the door and lobby for changes, whether or not they have a real economic interest or not. I mean, if you're, if you're, if you, if your customers are private, you know who your customers are. You need your customers to agree to a set of specifications and a price, and then you move forward. In in public healthcare, everybody gets to weigh in, everybody gets to lobby, and yeah. you end up with what we have now, which is, you know, nobody believes this is a rational way to run healthcare, but it's gotta please the people who put politicians and, and administrations yeah, yeah. in power. So that's that's the limit that we've got and we've then we've then the situation we have to work in. So it's it's going to be complicated, I think, no matter how good we become until we figure out a way to modify that basic, you know, pretense here that this is, you know, this is a this is a po political yeah. program that delivers Healthcare, more or less, and, and and it delivers the payments, right? It doesn't even yeah, deliver yeah. the healthcare. The healthcare just it's just the money. The payments. Right, right. Yeah, right. yeah. Show me the except money, in, except yeah. in the VA, and that right. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. and I would tell you, I was like, at least in my very informal surveys in the world, people are way happier with Medicare than people are happy with the VA. That, unfortunately, oh, yeah. definitely, yeah, yeah. So, Jim, you had a question. I cut you off. No, well, that. I was going to say I've been in this business for forty some years too, and I, I did some lobbying and you know, with politicians. And you've done that for so long. Was, did you work directly with politicians in your career? 
Yeah. Um, okay. You know, Very we, frustrating, like it was for me. I'd be my guess. Well, you know, you know that that I started out in state government affairs, and so my purview. Right when I first started out, I had responsibility for the New England states in New York, and so I worked Albany and Boston, and you know the other uh, capitals in the in the New York. I found that that's where I really sort of got my training in in law in in advocacy and uh, i was fortunate because state legislators <clears throat> excuse me are much more accessible i think than members of congress but at the same time they have fewer staff people so you know you may find you know one person that may have like a jumble of different jobs but they also you know give advice to the member on healthcare and so you know at, at early on i was incentivized to do as much work as i could for my for my lobbying target and say you don't have to learn all about medicaid because most of them are fresh out of college and they don't have, have much experience this is their sure. first experience in the workforce so you say this is what medicare does or medicaid does was what medicare does this is how this system works how drugs get paid for and you know if they stick around that certainly pays dividends but i think in the state in the state side the uh the, the the members of the legislature and the leadership are much more accessible than they are in washington the federal level yeah yeah and washington though i mean i think yeah. i and not just not just not just the legislators in washington but the more and almost more importantly the the regulators and the folks at cms I mean, people badmouth regulators and bureaucrats a lot, but I've seen these folks at work over the past 30 years, and you've got some people, you know, there's some of them are pretty partisan, but these people are dedicated and they know more about healthcare than any congressman does or any member of a staff of a, of a congressional committee does. Because this is, and they love it. They're Im immersed in it. They've studied it, and it's a pleasure to actually talk to them, especially if you're prepared because you know what they're going to ask. You're you, and you you come with a with a, a proposed solution, um, and they're and they're great to work with. I mean, this CMS really saved the industry's bacon after the implementation of of uh, Medicare Part D benefit because you know we cried help and we you know. There are folks at CMS who said, okay, how can we help? Let's get together, figure out where the problems are. And they intervened directly with uh, with the PBMs and just, you know, cleared the path to make sure that we were properly taken care of. And ever since then, you know, people say what they want about CMS, but these people are pros. And frankly, I'm glad they're, I'm glad they're there. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you know, but, but, you know, doing the federal stuff, frankly, I have a little different philosophy because I've seen what I think happens more often at the at the uh, at the real life level versus the sort of the fantasy of what a lobbyist does. It, you know, you don't necessarily need to know the member or have a feel for the member. The member is always going to defer to their either their legislative assistant for yeah. health care policy or their chief of staff or their policy director or whoever that may be on their staff. Those are the people you got to get to doing 
making letting them understand what the industry does is another critical thing. And I know a lot of my colleagues agree with this. Getting a member or more importantly, a state director or a district director for the member into a pharmacy. Pharmacy. Making yeah. a making a this is how we're different. You were you know, most of the problems that that members had when doing tours was finding the pharmacy. Yeah. Because they're yeah. located, you guys know the industrial that. parks. Yeah. Yeah. Industrial yeah. Yeah. parks no yeah. signage, you know, yeah. none of that. Say, well, is this the pharmacy? Yeah, this yeah. is it. You know, we gotta buzz you it's, through the door and um, it's so funny. I, I joke with Jim that we should just rename this podcast, invite your politician to your pharmacy. Yeah, <laughs> because, yeah. because true. I think in almost yeah. every single conversation we have, that's one of the takeaways, which is, you know, and I, it's, you know, most of us, if you, if you don't work in healthcare, your experience with healthcare is relatively minor. It's here and there. And maybe you go pick up, you know, maybe if you're a heavy healthcare user, you know, you go to the doctor a couple times a month and you pick up meds, you know, once or twice a month. And, you know, for, for most folks, if you're pretty healthy, you're not interacting with it all that often. And so that being able to see it and being able to see how it works is so impactful. Yeah. But, but here's the thing though, and this is where I think I, I developed a feel for this that really helped me. Mm -hmm. The, the, the half-life of a, of a member of a Congress person's visit to a long-term care pharmacy is relatively short. I mean, you have, I mean, that's where the, that's where the conversation starts. They will remember if you go to a fundraiser, Oh yeah, I was at your pharmacy, you know, blah. Um, The most important relationship you make there is the staff people that are in the district that they are, they live in the district represented mm-hmm. by the member, whether it's the state or the local congressional district, if you keep a communication going with them and you need at some point, the industry needs to pull the fire alarm and say, you know, stop this. You can call. I mean, who's going to make it? I mean, if I'm a lobbyist and I need to get that, is is it better for me to call and beg the chief of staff or the member to, to make sure they vote in my favor? Or is it if the state director or the district director calls and say, hey, we got a constituent who really needs, you know, this is important to them. Yeah. We need to, to be on this. And but they're going to listen to them. They got the their fingers on the pulse of yeah. the district and where the voters are. And... That's yeah, that's, I think sometimes people forget that, you know, it's like we think of, you know, the the big offices in Congress that surround the, the Capitol. Yeah. And, you know, we forget that every single congressman has an office in their home district. And it's there's often more people who work there than work in Washington. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's but that's the that's the key thing. Once you get that, I mean, once you have. I mean, and and there's other people. I mean, forget about Congress. Forget about, you need to have the state legislators in to see your to your yeah. mayor, your county supervisors, every because those people are important to the member as well. If they start yeah. getting mail or you know emails or phone calls from the county supervisor in their district, and he says, "Hey, you know, we got a pharmacy down here that's." telling me that if you guys don't do this right, you know, it's going to be hell to pay. Right. Um, if they hear from a county supervisor or a mayor or, you know, any of those people, they're, 
they take that seriously. It's yeah. better than, you know, better than Paul Baldwin calling them up and saying, hey, I need a favor. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Initially, yeah. I was disappointed the congressman or senator wouldn't see us. And, you know, a few we did. And Taft fell asleep on us when we were in his office. But fortunately, the staffer was there. And that's who we ended up mostly dealing with over yeah. time. Uh, and that's where we got the results and the outcomes. So, yeah. yeah. Thanks for listening to the Integra X-Files. We'd like to hear from you and gain your perspective on the X-Factor and improving long-term care pharmacy. Connect with us at IntegraXFiles.com. That's IntegraXFiles.com.